This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Against a global context of rising anti-Semitism and increasing levels of disinformation and hate speech, Holocaust education and remembrance are more urgent than ever. An accurate accounting of what happened before, during, and after the Holocaust is integral to the process of healing and reconstituting individuals, community, and systems of justice. In January, James Madison University held a Holocaust Remembrance Day week, which included a range of events, including hosting Dr. Oren Baruch Steyer on campus for a keynote address. In this episode, we talk with Dr. Steyer, who is Director of Holocaust and Genocide Studies and Professor of Religious Studies in the Stephen J. Green School of International and Public Affairs at Florida International University, where he also directs the Jewish Studies Certificate Program. Dr. Steyer discussed Holocaust memorialization, the forms that it takes, and asks what the public history of the Holocaust and its memory can teach us about civic engagement and civic education in today's memorial landscape beyond the memory of World War II. Enjoy our discussion with Dr. Steyer, and in the episode notes, you'll find a link to his full multimedia talk. Thanks for joining us. Dr. Steer, this morning you gave a lecture to a class on the book Mouse, which we know this past week has been banned by a Tennessee school board. Can you speak to our listeners about the importance, from your view, of learning specifically from that text? I think, I think Mouse is one of the most remarkable Holocaust texts out there. And one, one reason is because it's not... Um, easily defined. It, you, you can't easily put it into a particular kind of a box, right? So, you know, lots of time p- people um, describe Mouse or introduce Mouse as, as as a graphic novel. It's graphic, but it's not a novel. Um, but it's sort of like a genre thing that rolls off, off people's tongues. So they'll say, you know, the graphic novel Mouse, but what they really mean is the graphic, I don't really know exactly how to describe it, Mouse. And that if we think about those different generic issues, if we just think about what is Mouse, all the different things that it is, it's a biography, it's an autobiography, it's a memoir, it's an act of memory, it's a commemoration, it's history, and it's also graphic representation. And the Tennessee School Board, unfortunately, was reacting to a very, very, let's say, um, limited view of what it is, which is that there are some images in it that are, are um, inappropriate, let's say, um, particularly because they were reacting to uh, the depiction of, of Jewish victims of the Holocaust, female victims, um, naked. Um, but of course, in Mouse, the convention of representation is that they're not represented as human beings. They're not full human beings there. They're mouse-headed beings with human limbs. Um, and so there's a, there's a human quality to it, but it's really more like, it's like banning graffiti. It's like, it's like telling people that you can't, you, you know, like, no, you can't look at that thing that somebody drew on that building as a protest because it's, it's an inappropriate image. I mean, we start doing that, you know, we start closing off so many avenues for understanding and um, appreciation of the complexity 
of the, the history and the memory of the experiences that we're trying to get in touch with. So Mao's just broke open the world of Holocaust representation to come up against the challenges of telling a, a multi-layered Holocaust narrative um, with a with a multi-layered response and saying, here, look at all the complexity. There's so much complexity, I can't tell this in a normal way. And to take that away from students is like, it's, it's, it's taking away a key tool that we have in, in Holocaust education. You're here with us talking about difficult knowledge. <laughs> and, and Mouse is this great example of, you know, how we approach that. Why is difficult knowledge so difficult? <laughs> so I just had a whole class <laughs> with you on this. Um, and I, you know, I still don't really know the answer to that. Uh, I mean, this is something I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to get at. Um, I'm, I'm trying to, to research with a colleague of mine, uh, uh, Becky Christ. The, the short answer is that difficult knowledge is difficult because uh, for at least three ways. Um, one is the content itself um, is difficult content. I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult to hear about enslavement. It's difficult to read about mass murder. Um, uh, it's difficult to read about wartime atrocities, um, uh, let alone to see them represented um, in, through various media. So that's content difficulty. Um, but, but one of the things we need to tease out when we deal with what, what some people call difficult history or hard history, uh, difficult knowledge, is um, that there's that content difficulty, but then there is the, 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 the emotional, affective aspect of how it impacts people, right? Um, this material is difficult to learn about because of what it is, and it's also difficult to learn about because how it makes me feel, how it makes someone feel in the classroom, how they respond to it. And um, so as we were talking in class today, I mean, one idea that's out there is rather than try to shelter and protect students from that emotional difficulty. Instead, maybe it's, it's a good idea to try to embrace it, um, to, to em embrace crisis in the classroom, to realize that out of that crisis, learning can happen. Um, and it might forge uh, a greater sense of solidarity and community within the classroom, where there, the, there's, there's a journey literally happening, a journey into and through this material to try to figure out how to come out the other side. Um, then there's another difficulty that we, we deal with a lot lately, which is the, the, the difficulty of, it's the head in the sand difficulty. It's the, I don't even want to deal with it difficulty. It's just too much for me difficulty. We shouldn't have our kids exposed to this difficulty. Our kids shouldn't be uncomfortable kind of difficulty. Um, and that's, that's just another order of difficulty in terms of having to navigate around those parameters in terms of having to negotiate um, the rules and regulations about what is what is forbidden, what is permitted, um, what is censored, uh, what is not what what is not allowed. Uh, you know, it's it's frustrating to be a Holocaust educator in in this day when we're trying to move towards greater 
relevancy and association of the events of 80 years ago and how they might teach us something today. And we've got all these forces out there that say, yeah, but you're going to make my kid uncomfortable. I mean, history is uncomfortable. Life is uncomfortable, right? It, maybe it would be okay to teach our kids some of that. In a few hours, you're about to give a public talk about the Holocaust here at James Madison University, the title of which is The Stakes of the Holocaust Commemorations, Some Lessons for the 21st Century. Dr. Steer, what do you hope people walk away from? That's a great question. <laughs> um, so I wanna say I'm not, I'm not lecturing about the Holocaust today. Um, that would be a completely different lecture. Um, and I'm not, an, I'm not a Holocaust historian. I mean, I'm informed by by the history of the Holocaust, but that's not what I do, and that's not what really m motivates me in, in my work, in my research, and in my teaching. One thing I want is I want people to walk out of the lecture hall looking around at their environment, at their university, at their town, at their politics, their po local representation. At, I want them to look around at their world in a different way. I want them to see things differently. I want there to be a distinct before and after, right? Before I walked in, I, I don't, I don't want to say that I'm going to affect that transformation all by myself, but I hope that some of the things that I'll share um, in, a, in a few hours and, and, and some of the things that people will see and some of the associations that I'm going to try to make will get people to think about um, their own local histories and their own regional histories and our, our own national history in a different way and about how do we reflect on the past, what, what, we, what we memorialize t says a lot about what we care about, right? what we think is important. And I think there are a lot of changes going on now in terms of how we think about what we do in representing the past. And I want people to be part of that discussion and to, to play an informed uh, uh, role in that discussion. Um, and to think critically about what is this memorial of this monument doing in, you know, in my town? What is, this, what is this telling us? What is this telling people? Um, whom does it represent? Um, uh, who's left out of the story? And you, you don't, I, I don't want people to run, run out and start tearing monuments down, but, but maybe if they just thought about them a little bit more. Um, you know, we're surrounded by things that remind us, you know, um, I'm, I'm trying to be sensitive to, to where I am here. You know, there's, like, there's a lot of history around here, American history. Um, and uh, it should make people think about what we think about that history and how we respond to it. Um, and what, how do we use it to teach our kids? What are, we, what are we telling them about our own past and our own stories? So I, I want people to be, you know, changed maybe a little bit. There's, there's a lot to dig into if we're talking about our local context in that situation because what is memorialized, what is memorialized where we are in Harrisonburg, Virginia has a lot to do with the Civil War. Um, and specifically of Confederate heroes. Um, so, and not just monuments to them, but also 
monuments pointing to the monuments. <laughs> um, so there is a monument for where Ashby fell. Um, and two miles away from that is a historical marker that says <laughs> two miles or a mile and a half from here is where Ashby fell, right? So there's this concentration of um, directing people's attention to a particular history and to particular voices. And that history was, and those monuments were erected um, during Jim Crow era or during um, American apartheid. So how should we, you know, be thinking about reimagining or reconstructing um, history in a way that brings forward the voices that have been traditionally left out? I think we have to start with what narratives we teach, what narratives we favor in our educational system, um, and build up from there in thinking about how can those narratives be more fairly and appropriately represented. I mean, I don't, I don't design monuments and memorials. I don't know what an alternative or an additional set of m- monuments and memorials might look like. Um, you know, I'm going to mention in my talk later uh, the what's happening in Charlottesville now with the Robert E. Lee statue that is being m- melted down into ingots that are going to be then used to create something new. And I find that you know, remarkably uh, suggestive and exciting. Um, it's something that's still in process. I know it's, it's intended to be a collaborative process, um, a consultative process that involves a lot of stakeholders in the community, and all of that, all of that sounds really good to me. So I, I don't know what it, what it should look like. Um, and, and I'm not... I don't, I don't want a landscape devoid of monuments and memorials because th- that's, a, that's a window onto history that if, if all of them were torn down, um, you know, a, a much more serious thing would happen, which is that it just gets completely forgotten, mm-hmm. right? You can, it's, it's one thing to have a monument to a, a, a lost cause ideology. Um, it's another thing to tear the monument down and have the lost cause ideology promoted unchecked without any kind of reference point around which people could rally and protest and express their different views of what, you know, what the Civil War was about, what, what you know, what uh, in- enslavement was about, what, what the South was about. Um, but I do think we need to add... We need, we need to add to the landscape. There needs to be more there. It needs to be richer. And there's so much that can be done now um, with uh, augmented reality and virtual reality. I mean, there are things that can be done without knocking things down. It doesn't have to be destructive, right? It can be, mm. it can be constructive. It can be additive. And that's what I'd like to see. So I guess I'd like to see the use of technology and more kind of collaboration and consultation in order for people to really add to what's there and 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 make the 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 memorialization more complex to reflect the a, a more complex history uh, monuments 
especially, memorials less so, if you want to make a distinction, monuments tend to oversimplify on purpose. That's the whole that's the whole point of a monument. But maybe it's time now to move on to a, a, a new era, uh, a more complex era of representation. Dr. Steer, we've now had over 90 episodes of this podcast, Democracy Matters, and we've asked the same question of all of our guests that I'd like to present to you. What would you do to strengthen our democracy? Hmm. What would I do to strengthen our democracy? Um, I'm disturbed by um, the compartmentalization of not just politics, I mean, of of everything um, that I think uh, the COVID era has only exacerbated where people spend now their entire thinking, waking lives in um, echo chamber, social media bubbles where they only share the same views with the same people with the same views. And that's not good for our democracy. Um, And um, we hear a lot about some bygone era of bipartisanship and people talking to each other. And I, th- I think it's, I think we're suffering from a lot of nostalgia. I don't know if it was ever that good, <laughs> but there somehow, somehow it, it used to work better or, or maybe I'm completely naive. Um, but I think, I think it used to work better. And I think, unfortunately, um, Look, I mean, people are going to exploit every available um, mechanism to skew things in their own direction. That's that's just a given, right? So we've got serious um, structural problems with our democracy, um, but we're not going to get to addressing them and solving them if we don't learn how to talk to each other again, if we ever did know how to talk to each other. And we're not going to learn how to talk to each other if we don't have a more robust education system, because people learn how to talk to each other or not how to talk to each other through the primary modes of socialization. I mean, that's school and family. So um, family, we're not going to, we're not really going to do anything about that. So all we're left with is school. So, you know, school is a place where people have to learn to talk to each other, learn to get along. I mean, these are, these are basic kindergarten (laughs) rules of engagement that we've completely forgotten, you know. And so um, going from, you know, an era where, where uh, our, our leaders um, act like kindergartners, and our kindergartners don't know how to actually talk like human beings is, is a completely upside, upside down world. So what we need to do, I think, is, is strengthen, strengthen our educational system. Um, we need, you know, better and more committed and dedicated teachers out there. And we need um, to stop politicizing uh schools and education and and school boards um this you know new 
era, which we see very clearly in Virginia, um, you, you know, of, of politicizing uh, the whole um, education process. Whatever happened to leaving things to the experts, right? The people are actually trained to educate. Maybe they should have a say in how education actually works rather than people who want to make just a political uh, soundbite or a political buck from it. So, you know, I... I, I think that, that it all comes down to, to education. I mean, I'm an educator, you know, what else am I going to say? Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Democracy Matters. Editing and production was done by Jacqueline Dobrin, JMU Civics Communications Specialist. Randy Bednikus, Director of Digital Marketing at JMU, does the syndication for us. Our theme song is Sometimes It Shines by Pictures of the Floating World. Be sure to follow us on social media. You can tweet your questions and ideas to us at JMU Civic, and we'll address them in a future episode. You can also connect and engage with us on Facebook at JMU Civic. Learn more about the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement at James Madison University on our website at j.mu civic. Until next time.